keeping us in your love and blessing us more than we will ever know. We thank you Lord for the opportunity to hear your word, to believe your word, to act on your word. And we thank you for that Father in Jesus name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. 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 So we're talking about the church's um, duty to tell the truth about certain things. Or truth. We are the people who know the truth. And we are obligated to tell that truth. And we <coughs> say that we have a mandate to do that. That is what the gospel is. The gospel is truth. Above all things, it's the good news, but it is also true. We need to understand that and <coughs> be steadfast in that because when it comes down to um, witnessing and sharing Christ and sharing your faith with others, we have to be adamant in the fact that what we know and what we understand is truth. I think the best way to have that truth made real to you is through your own relationship of prayer and study of the word. You know I notice that sometimes around church people they will pick up phrases, jargon, (coughs) words, interpretations that are not strictly biblical but it's what they hear. And sometimes people will get indoctrinated in certain truths that they hear on a consistent basis either through the preacher or someone else and they don't have enough of a full understanding of God's word to really be effective in their witnessing. So it makes it a little difficult sometimes for God to use us as much as he would like to if we aren't as familiar with his word as truth and and living it out in our lives. That's the other part. If something's true and it's valid you will have working evidence of that in your life. you'll, You'll be able to establish that. You know this works. I know this is God's word. It works. It's working in my life. It's worked in the lives of other people. And so I have evidence in my life that this this is a true uh, concept in God. <clears throat> so that part of it's 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 uh, real. And so we have something to offer the the world because the world does not abide in truth but it abides in darkness. And so it's very important for us to pray prayers that will have uh, bring, bring about truth and light and enlightenment so that people will be able to walk in the light without stumbling. They'll, they'll be successful. They'll be prosperous. They'll be healthy. Uh, they'll have all of these things in place in their lives because they are trusting in the truth. So in all things we need to be able to um, confront uh, issues in the world and, and issues that we see controversies and all of these things and be able to offer a remedy so then truth is also a remedy or a solution it is a solution that always works so we could say one of the definitions of truth is something that always works there's no failure in truth you know uh, it's a fact that is established 
throughout eternity. That's really what truth is. Truth is an eternal something. It's something that is true in, in all ages and it works forever and ever. One of the problems in modern society is that people have a tendency to believe that certain things have gone out of fashion or out of style or out of, you know, oh, that's old fashioned. People don't think that, well, it's the, the, you know, the uh, new millennium now and we have to think like new millennium people. Well, there are some things that are just true. And they don't change with the new millennium now. And the the things that new millennial people are bringing up, they aren't new either. You know, they've been tried already and failed. And the knowledge of that has been hidden from them. So the devil can pull it out and get them to try it again. Mm-hmm. There's nothing new about witchcraft. That stuff's been around for ages. But yet we see all kinds of people looking for ghosts and, you know, consulting mediums and all this kind of stuff. And it's strictly forbidden in the word of God. But yet we will see people being curious about that. And then after a while they begin to trust in it. Well, that was around during the the 1920s. You know, that was an age of prosperity. It seems that whenever there's an age of prosperity, people get stupid and they start to look around for different kinds of amusements and they everything in the visible world, they've tried it, so they now they seek the invisible. They want to veer out into the uh the world of the spirit and, and uh, you know, examine what's out there. They have no knowledge of what they're about when they start those things. So, and those things have been around for a long time. And then God will come, somebody starts to preach truth, and then that gets, lies dormant for a while, but then it'll pop up again. The next group, you know, when there was, uh, like in the 1920s, around the turn of the century, seances were, were uh, very, very popular. And people experimented. Now, people have always experimented with drugs when they went into the occult. That's always been a part of it. At that time, homeopathic medicine was very popular. And there were no legal restrictions. The FDA wasn't doing anything. There were no legal restrictions on the amount of dope that you could put in things. And so it was very common. You could go to a, a, what they called a pharmacy, which was, you know, the old soda fountain. Anybody was around during my day, they still had soda fountains in certain drug stores and there's a reason for that is because you could bring a piece of paper from your doctor and the guy who was the soda jerk used to be the pharmacist and they would mix up an elixir for you or a tonic for you and it was always dispersed in in a bubbly club soda or some kind of water because water had to be mixed in it and they'd stir it up and you sit right there at the counter and drink it you know and you got your elixir that way a lot of the stuff wasn't working but some of it was very potent and you could get um, <clears throat> you could get um, morphine or codeine at, at a druggist and they would mix it up a certain percent solution of it and you could take drops of it and all that kind of stuff there was no regulation on it and it's not surprising that during that time people started to dabble in the occult more and more and these elixirs allowed them to have these kind of out of body experiences and um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a big proponent of of that. You know, he took uh, codeine and and morphine and and would hallucinate. Mm. 
you know he wrote the Sherlock Holmes mysteries all that kind of stuff so it's it was very prevalent during that time I think uh, um, uh, what's his name the evangelist South Africa Lake debated uh, Conan Doyle uh, once about you know the spirit realm and, and the existence of spirits and all that kind of stuff so these were very very real occurrences and then you see them come back up again during the 60's you know with the quote unquote sexual revolution and you know that and we've got a very bad drug problem because of that there are many people who think marijuana should be legal uh, because they've been able to get so many people to like it and so just because you like something that doesn't mean you need to make it legal you got me uh, especially if there's a, the fruit from that lifestyle leads to destruction there's nothing good that comes from that drug lifestyle it doesn't have much to do with the fact that it's illegal even though that's a part of it but what people will do for drugs is is you know the problem a big problem and so uh, those kinds of things have always been around you know they lie dormant for a season they'll the, you know little seed is still there and it pop back up you know when people get in rebellion and they want to turn away from traditional uh, lifestyle you know during the 60's uh, it was easy for <clears throat> people to turn around away from tradition because they felt tradition was responsible for a lot of the problems we had in society you know uh, young people saw their parents as hypocrites especially when the uh, you know television got to be very popular and people could look at what was going on in different parts of the country they didn't like what they saw and they felt they needed to rebel against much of it and part of that rebellion was to just drop out and do drugs and rob people in order to get it of course they didn't see that as wrong but they saw what they were rebelling against as wrong and so when the church comes alive to the the lies that are being told to humanity that's when we have to step up with the truth and of course you get laughed at because what you're telling people is not popular but it is tried and true I mean it is the truth and it's been tried already and it's it's going to um, be their answer whether they know it or not See, they can't sometimes when you first witness to people they can't put it all together right away but eventually they'll be given to put it together you know this is this is really what I've been looking for I, I didn't understand it at first but you know those Christian people they've been telling us that you know this is this is what they believe and, and I'm going to try this I'm going to try the prayer I'm going to try uh, giving my life to the Lord so we are here to tell them the truth about God so the truth about God we talked about last time was that God is not angry with man anymore he has made peace through the blood of his cross and anybody who will go to that cross and accept the deal there's a deal that has to be accepted and that's the covenant new covenant that God has with us that if we will repent of our sins and not just do a prayer and go back out and do the same thing over and over again but John the Baptist said to bring forth fruits meat for repentance it shows me that you're you you're taking a turn in your life see 
So the word for repent really means to change your mind. God changes your heart. You can't change your heart. You change your mind. Change your mind about the way you live. You know, you used to think it was right and you couldn't do any better, but now you got your doubts about that. Maybe I am wrong. Maybe I need to make a change. Maybe God can help me with that change. And so uh, that's the first step in, in repentance is thinking, you know, really considering the truth that you've been presented about God. You know, just examine that truth. Many people don't want to believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Mm-hmm. He is the only way. The Bible says that. If you talk to a person, say you talk to a Jehovah's Witness and you ask them, well, well in your religion, how are your sins forgiven? You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. I know you've read that in the Bible, haven't you? Huh? Well, how are your sins paid for? Who who died in your place in order for you to go to heaven or be forgiven? Somebody would have to have taken your place or paid that off for you. There's a debt that we incur with sin. And so these are the ways to get established the truth of God. You don't have to be nervous that somebody would challenge you or you don't have answers. If you trust the Holy Spirit, you know, as they say, be prayed up, whatever that means. But you just trust the Holy Spirit to give you answers. You're not trying to debate somebody. You're trying to win them to Christ. And there's a different spirit about it when you know you're trying to win that person over. And that truth will, will inform them of who God is and, and what God really has for them. So we're here to bring truth. You may even bring truth to people who are Christians or claim to be Christians. Because many times that they, they're into what we used to call nominal Christianity. That means that they call themselves Christians as opposed to calling themselves something else. You know, and so they they kind of more identify with the Christian God than they do with any of the other gods, but they're not born again sometimes, and so or they may be born again and never have grown beyond just making that confession. So truth will always help them to understand the ways of God more, and you just just speak that truth to them and leave that truth with them. <clears throat> so when we talked about knowing that God is not angry with us that's that's one of the truths that is central to the gospel that we are forgiven and we have peace with God if we'll accept his atonement accept Jesus to come into our hearts and live through us It's not just coming in there and not doing anything. Now you can live for God. There's a life that God wants you to live now. And it's possible now that you've accepted Christ. In order to endure life in this world, we have to have hope that this isn't all there is. See, the Bible says if we we only have hope uh, in Christ, if we only have hope in this life, we're above all men most miserable. You know, it's just this is cannot be all that there is. 
because it's so I mean in, in as Christians we get persecuted or whatever but we can get our prayers answered and we can know that some of these things will pass and we'll get into a better hope down here as well but even if that's not possible in our, our realm of believing you know there's some believers who just believe everything's going to happen over there they do have over there you got me the sinner does not have over there all he has is this right here and so when we talk to them about the truth in God we can tell them that there is eternal life you know this is the way to heaven this is really true really really what what God wants us to know and he isn't looking for you to throw you in hell he's not looking for you to you know make you feel bad or tell you how bad you are but he is looking for you to change you so that you can live for him and live a, live a better life he will do the changing you just have to yield to it and change you he will he offers us peace a peace that abides with us that won't come and go but it'll be with us forever we need to inform people that the punishment that is due them for their their sinful behavior will not be placed upon them when they accept Jesus as their savior he's also saved them from punishment save you from sin and from punishment so that truth that God is not angry with man anymore is an important truth to let people know now I'm not coming to you to to give you a hard time about your life and what you've done I'm coming to you to let you know that God is not angry with anybody anymore he's made peace through his son Jesus that's the important thing to know the second truth that we know about God that we need to share is God loves us Hmm? he loves us now what does love really mean to it means different things to different people and we we have to let people know that the love of God is the most perfect and pure form of love so there's nothing you need to be scared of there's nothing that that will turn you off about God's love like it will be with people you know we can give examples people will love you up until a point but humans cannot tolerate certain kinds of behavior from one another for instance if somebody is always hurtful to you you want to stay away from that person you know you don't want to be around that individual or or you know the other the flip side of it is that sometimes we need to learn how to forgive you know this is this is how God's love operates now if he's blessed you to be born again and have his spirit dwelling in you he He's also blessed you to be able to respond the way he would toward all of humanity. And God is a loving, forgiving God. And many times we shy away from people that if we would respond as God does, we could win them over instead of avoiding them all the time. You see. And so he forces us oftentimes to abide in his love. 
That's what it means to abide in God's love. Is not try to love people based on your 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 character and what you've always done. But to know that there is a a deeper, stronger component to love once we know God. See when his when he it dwells in us, we can push ourselves aside and allow ourselves to die to all of these things you know these offenses and uh, likes and dislikes and get ourselves off the throne and put him on there and we'll find that through forgiveness we're able to see the good in everybody and to to speak to that you know to treat people toward the good and not that's what the bible means when it says love bears all things hopes all things believes all things means that we believe what god says about humanity you know we're not bad people you know we even the worst of us are not bad people we're people you know and when the love of God does not put handles and labels on people you got me he just loves everybody and so once we understand that then we can can live in the love of God but what we need to communicate to the world is that that love is not a partial love it doesn't love some and hate others or treat someone close and push some away it gives it's it's a level playing field when god is in your heart and you let him dominate you can love everybody so we he has loved us with an everlasting love john 3:16 is what we we oftentimes resort to to share with people to let them know the extent of god's love amen that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son all of us were made or created jesus was begotten so he's different Amen. He's of a different breed than we are. That whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So Jesus does not come to condemn. Now sometimes people get this confused with judgment. God doesn't judge. Of course he judges because God is the standard he's holy anything holy is able to judge other things we're not holy we've been made holy it's been imputed to us but we're not holy in the sense that we were born that way or created that way we were uh, we took on sin because of disobedience and so we are not in a position to judge unless we can judge righteously by allowing God to judge through us. That's the only way you can get the right answer is you let go of your personal judgment and you allow him to judge through you. And God always cuts people slack. He's not nearly as hard on people as we are. Not nearly. He always has mercy for people and he always has uh, forgiveness for people. Uh, His mercy endures forever. It's everlasting. So that makes his love everlasting because his love is described as loving kindness and tender mercies. So he he is ever, ever merciful to us. 
giving us opportunity to live for him. That's his main goal is that to get us to live that God life that he ordained that he that we would live when he first created us. He still has that in mind for us. He still wants that for us. He's got that in mind at all times. So we have evidence that God provided everything that a loving father would provide including the freedom of choice and discipline. So a loving father will not allow his child to go out into the world ill-equipped for success in life. So he gave man freedom of choice when he first planted him in the garden. Knowing that man would choose the wrong thing. But then his his steadfast love and his everlasting love see to prove that his love was everlasting he came back and gave the man an opportunity to be redeemed and to be pulled out of sin got me and so he had to if man is made in God's image God has freedom of choice he had to give that to us too or we wouldn't be made in his image we we would be perfect we'd be sinless we'd be innocent but we couldn't distinguish good from evil which God can so he made us that way too and that had to be put to the test and when it was put to the test the first time man failed so God in his love pursued us because the Bible says he's a faithful creator he's not it's not like uh, you know in in if you look at the um, say something like the automobile industry or any industry man is not faithful over what he creates because when cars are not serviceable anymore they go to these big graveyard scrap heaps nobody knows what to do with them so you know now we got environmental people talking about recycling everything because all the McDonald's containers that are styrofoam you know it takes a thousand years for that to break down and all this kind of stuff so we're not faithful creators man tends to look at what's going to help for the moment and to get that out there and make it produce money and make a living so people can prosper but he never sees it to the end result well God does he saw us to the end result he didn't leave us in sin did he he made a plan to retrieve us and bring us back to our original purpose so that he's faithful over everything that he creates that's what differentiates him from man that's why his covenant says he will never leave us or forsake us he is a faithful creator he didn't leave you an orphan in your sin and in a pawn for the devil so the devil to use you and throw you away he came back and pursued each and every one of us he's pursuing people right now many of them don't know they're being pursued but they are being pursued by God so that he can bring them into a knowledge of the truth about himself you know he wants people to know who he really is the Bible tells us God is love and when he lives in us he is love in action 
That's why he wants people, his children, to be like him. So we can demonstrate his love to broken humanity. God has great plans for us still and he intends to carry them out it it doesn't matter what we think about ourselves temporarily you know you You know it really doesn't he's just always got great plans for us for us to accomplish great things and we're to go into all the world and tell everybody the truth about him how he relates to us how he can affect our lives the great things that he's done for us you know not in a bragging way but in a way that invites people in where they know he'll do that for them too he knows they'll do that for them too John fifteen thirteen tells us that our sins are forgiven why is that important everybody knows that they sin everybody knows everybody knows God says greater love hath no man than this and he was laid down his life for his friends so his his life was was given in payment for our sin so through that our sins are put away all of them and if we meditate on that long enough to get it you know we'd, we'd have a lot more confidence and boldness than we have you know sometimes you know we Christians we just shrink away from everything and don't speak up and all that kind of thing but <clears throat> this should give us confidence and boldness you know that we can speak for God so once our sins are forgiven then we know that that God has approved of the payment we're we're paying God God paid the price that he demanded for us to be brought back to him so once he set the price for our redemption and we accept it then that's been paid and so it doesn't have to be paid again See, you don't have to pay twice for your sins. Once they're paid for, they're paid for. It's like you know, getting a, a you know, having a mortgage for years, and then they send it to you, make the last payment, and you keep forcing them to take money every month because you're used to doing it. You know, I mean, feeling bad about your sin is just a habit. It's a mental habit, you know. So we just have to break that habit through the renewing of our minds. Once your mind's renewed to the fact that your sins are forgiven, you don't have to sit up and make excuses for, you know, and all that. You can accept, you can be open to receive uh, correction. You can receive teaching. You can receive encouragement. You can receive everything of God's word because you accept that there's no penalty. Nobody's coming to you to tell you how bad you are or how rotten you are or where you messed up this time. See, all of that bad conscience comes from not meditating to make it real. You don't meditate enough to make it real to you. 
your sins are forgiven mine are forgiven you know we don't point fingers at each other we don't try to pull each other down we don't get in the corner and whisper about each other that kind of nonsense we just accept the atonement for everybody See, and the first person you need to accept it for is you. Because I found that people who examine always looking at other people's faults and have something to say for them have not accepted the atonement for themselves. So they're walking around with heaviness or guilt in their consciences and they want to pull somebody else over in the pit with them. Huh? It's just true. So once you grow up and grow out of that, and you can only do that by growing in God and growing in the spirit and growing in your knowledge of God and what he's done for you. So this relationship is for you to live with God not for you to judge how other people live with him. It's not your job. And so it's very very important that we accept the atonement for ourselves and once you accept it there comes a boldness and a confidence in your life that's pretty unmistakable you know people who are always fearful reluctant backing away they haven't accepted they haven't accepted their own forgiveness you know, people live like that in church for years. They don't want to be around the minister. They can always only be around a certain little cluster of people where they feel comfortable. You know, and they buzz back and forth. We can talk like this, but don't let me get around the pastor, somebody else who's you know growing in God or you know a little more mature. They 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 shy away from that because they haven't accepted that they are forgiven. There's always some darkness clouding over them to make them feel uncomfortable. You know, it's like they're being exposed and it's wrong. You know, it's, 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 they feel wrong about everything. And and it is sad because they can feel good about themselves. They can feel good about, you know, I can remember people, uh, you know, people in, in uh, re- uh, traditional churches would say things like I, well, I remember sister so and so and you know she people would always look at her because she was always getting people to pray for her husband who wasn't saved you know and and they weren't in any, any better condition you know if you look at them and I said well, well where was your well my parents were separated my daddy wasn't there well she had one trying to get him in you know but she was always the talk of the congregation because she humbled herself and asked for prayer and you know we used to say all the time old John she's still praying for old John and then one day old John came in church and he was saved you know so I, I thought well well, there's one humble person in the congregation everybody else sitting up judging her you know imagine the difficulty to get an answer to prayer from God in a congregation where everybody judges you because you come in and ask for prayer mm-hmm. But that's the way religion is. It's there to keep you from reaching out to God. Instead of inviting you to reach out. And if your reach doesn't quite make it. There's help for you to get over. Instead of you feeling bad because your reach is a little short. Nothing wrong with short people. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. 
And so at least you're reaching. You got me? That that that's the one thing you need to understand that you're 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 there attempting to find your way through this darkness. You want out of the darkness. You don't care about who because they are just darker than you are if they're making fun of you. So that should never be an issue among believers, you know? I remember when I was first saved, I answered every altar call they had. I could have cared less. And then I got got promoted, so to speak, and God he started giving me more responsibility and you know, we had a we had uh women's meetings and you know we'd always have them around the little continental breakfast you know women would come in during a weekday you know and you can tell they were mostly stay-at-home moms you know which is nothing wrong with that but you know is uh you know they sit around in their tables and the women who were the administrators had a separate table that they sat at in the front with the speaker and so it'll shock you how that little bit of distance put all the distance in the world between you and God if you let it and there were times when we would have speakers that they would want to you know uh, they would ask for prayer for people and I'd come off that little head table and go down there and get my prayer you know you understand what I'm saying and then sometimes we would have speakers who would just say well you know what if you want me to I'll just minister to everybody after you know I take care of people down here so forth and so on you know if they wanted to offer you a little privacy about things they would and so <coughs> it was just common to have to fight that after a while you know when you were new and everybody else was smarter than you in God you humbled yourself but then you got a little bit of smart and now you don't have need God so much anymore and you pass up a lot of opportunities for your deliverance because you're wondering about judging well you wouldn't be wondering if you weren't judging people so you had to fight that judgmental spirit from sitting on you and and giving you this delusion that somehow you were in better shape than the person who was going requesting prayer you have to fight that you have to fight that until the Lord comes because the devil will always come and sit on you and try to tell you something stupid you know you don't need this or you well people are looking at you and you know well I don't care about that you know and what are they looking at me for well I hope they get a good look because I'm here and I'm going to stay here and you know whatever and so you have to to fight that thing on a consistent basis but you need to know that God has provided forgiveness of sins and if you can stay more conscious of God's provision for you and and the condition you're in now and not what you used to be you can be more conscious of that then uh, you know God will use you you know many times people want to remind you of your sins and you know I'll hear people say things like well well, you know when I first came to this ministry you was so and so and so and so I said well what condition were you in you know know, people just it's always that little thing they want to always 
bring up dig up your past and all that kind of stuff and you know all that kind of nonsense well mostly what it is is their misperceptions sometimes their uh, judgment because people watch leaders all the time and if you make one little false move in their book they want to nail you to the cross but they can do anything they want to do but you can't say anything to them you got me so it's never it's never even so if you're a leader you're going to have to forget that you know and you know say God if I'm wrong you correct me but I'm not going to take correction from these snipers out here uh-huh. because if 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 you take some of that stuff to heart and get discouraged by it then you quit what you're doing for God or you pull back or you try to water it down or you try to make people like you or something stupid like that instead of letting God correct you and you be forgiven of your sins just like they're forgiven of their sins and forgiveness has to be enough God's forgiveness has to be enough to satisfy everybody. You know, you can't hold people's feet to the fire because you don't like the way they talk to you. You got me? You have to let God correct these things. You forgive them and you love them. You're supposed, you got to love them. Faults and all. And while you're examining them, the Bible says examine yourself. <laughs> Never told you to examine other people. See, that's a full-time job if you ask me. See, it's a full-time job. You don't have time to, you know, text people and call them and run around and sit, you know, in your little corner in the church and talk about people. You don't, you know, that's not your job. Don't defile your spirit in the house of God with that kind of nonsense. Grow up and understand that forgiveness of sins is something that we all need you're never going to not need it you're never going to you know increase your stature in God through finding fault with other people that's not going to happen it is not going to happen and so the forgiveness of sins is something that we have to accept that we all need your sins aren't any worse than mine and mine aren't any worse than yours we don't have a comparison here we just partake of what Jesus has afforded for all of us we all need it continually you don't get any points with God for going so many days without messing up I get news for you this isn't a point system this is a fruit system so we're judged by our fruit if you went seven days without messing up, then where's the fruit? Right. What fruit did you bear for God? Oh, you don't have any? You didn't know you were supposed to bear fruit? Well, you've been on the wrong page all along. Sitting up wondering, measuring your, your Christianity or your relationship by the don'ts again. Thought we did away with that in the Old Testament. Live in the New Testament now. We're supposed to go forth and bear fruit. So while you were sitting there counting the days that you didn't mess up, did you win a soul to Christ? Did you do any extra prayer? Did you pray for somebody? Were you able to do a little more than you usually do because of all your righteousness that you've accumulated over those days? Hmm? You know, a carnal carnal thinking will come on anybody at any time. We can get in those stupid religious mentalities 
where we, you know, oh, so-and-so is still doing so-and-so. Yeah, I wonder why. You know, don't be wondering on somebody else's shortcomings. Just pray for them. You know, and bring that up to God. God, just help them to quit making the same mistakes over and over again. Put them on a plain path and keep them on there, you know. And just, just identify with that. Jesus did. That's why he prays for us still. You know, he identifies with our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to to be in the earth and, and be restricted by, by uh, temptations and all those kinds of things. We need to understand that God is a just judge. Why? Because he's holy. A judge that has nothing wrong with them, that can see everything clearly, is a righteous and a just judge. And none of us qualifies. Amen. Only God. So God has determined that we do not pay twice for our sins. So the guilt, the rejection, the fear, get rid of it. The discomfort, being uncomfortable around people who are spiritual and may hold you to a higher standard. That kind of thing. Uh, Get rid of that nonsense. And just humble yourself and know that God puts you in a place with those people so that you can prosper. and You can do well. I I know we had this uh, opportunity at Richard Roberts. Now I, I... you know, many times ministers come in and if they can't have a special mention or a special seat, they don't want to be bothered. You got me? So, and it's one of those things that you have to die to that. Because if the special seat is not offered, you didn't get one that time. And just go sit where you can sit. You don't have to tell everybody who you are and you're here so that they can mention you and all that kind of stuff. You just, you know, go in and and get your seat. You know, if you get there early enough, you'll get a good seat. You know, it's like everybody else. And so I I was, when I was uh, there, when we were ushering and everything i thought well i would just not assign myself anywhere but you know where god showed me to to help i would help and uh i was the gentleman who was you know bringing the people in you know and he would always ask me he said now is somebody sitting in this seat the front row you know and i'm funny about who goes on the front row you know as you can you know you just you just don't jump up and put everybody up there so sure enough the last night he and usually i would tell him you know a couple seats but i said i'm gonna let him have it tonight and sure enough there's some minister that came and they they knew it in enough time and then but he didn't have enough seats reserved you know and i'm thinking you should know better you've been doing this for a while you know if there are partners there are also churches and and some pastors who are friends etc you can just fill those seats up anytime you know when the back's full somebody who's been praying for a front row seat will get one and so you know those things have got to work those things out but you also run the risk of offending people when you ask them to move if somebody you feel is more important has to come up and that's always the way it's looked at and so these things we have to uh, keep in mind that God is not a partial God he's not a judgmental God but he will also make provision for people if you will ask him that's part of your covenant responsibility to pray that prayer and make sure that that provision is made for you so that you can can uh can receive what God has for you so God is is a just God 
And he doesn't make us pay twice for our sins. Now you can feel guilty all you want to. But you need to know that guilt is not the payment. Now we all clear on that. You know what the payment for your sin is right. It's death. So unless you're going to go kill yourself. Just forget about trying to pay for it yourself. Guilt does not help you in God's eyes. Faith helps you in God's eyes. And faith in what Jesus has done will take the guilt away. We have been spared from death already. And reinstated in our inheritance. And that's the truth about God. He's not looking for anybody to punish them. That's not what he's after humanity for. He's after them to save them. He's not after anybody to condemn them to death and to hell. He's after the world to save them. He wants to help us. Romans 8.17 the the eighth chapter of the book of Romans talks about the difference between living in the flesh and living in the spirit in case anybody ever has any doubts about where they're at (laughs) by what they do You know, anybody can get weak in the flesh and stumble and step over and and give in to the flesh. So, you know, you need to know the difference when you're in the flesh or in the spirit. And he talks about if Christ is in you, then your body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So the cravings of your body should not be as strong as they were before Christ came to live in you, after he lives in you. No, people just, people get deceived into thinking that that's not real. See, that this scripture isn't real. But your body is dead to sin once the spirit of Christ comes to live in you. Because your your flesh is crucified with him. If you'll identify with him. If you'll accept the truth. So many times people indulge their flesh because they don't want to accept the truth they're deceived they think their flesh is just as strong to sin as it was when they were sinners even though people have been living for God for years you see that in in, uh, denominational churches sometimes you know people are having babies out of wedlock fornicating doing all kinds of sin because they don't believe this right here that you're crucified with Christ And you don't have to fall into the weakness of your flesh on anything. You can fight that thing. He says that the spirit of him that raised up Christ. This is verse 11. Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So his spirit makes your mortal body alive to obey the spirit. Not to obey the flesh. The quickening of God's power makes your body alive to obey the spirit, not the flesh. If you live after the flesh, you'll die. Hmm? But if you live through the spirit, if you through the spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you'll live. 
So really what he's saying, you don't have to sit there and beat yourself, your body up and tell your body it can't do this and can't do that. Just live out of the spirit. The spirit is stronger than the flesh. The Bible says the flesh is weak. That's why we have a new covenant. To crucify the flesh so that we could live out of the spirit. The old covenant was done away with, the Bible says, because it was weak. Because it was carried out through the flesh. You weren't born again under the old covenant. But under the new, you mortify the deeds of the flesh by walking after the spirit. Hmm? It's like shedding some some dirty clothes that you've taken off and you put on clean ones and just walk away from the dirty ones. Throw them in the hamper and keep going. That's the way living in the spirit is. You just step out of the old dictates of the flesh and you just, nope, I'm renewed. My, I'm, I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. I don't do that stuff no more. And you take that dirty off and you put on something clean and go on outside. Do what you're going to do. That's how you mortify the deeds of the flesh. You just walk in the spirit. Just let your mind grab onto what God has. And quit feasting on forbidden things. No. Everything. You know Christians have a fight these days. You know you can't watch television. You can't listen to music hardly. You can't cruise and sample everything. Because the devil knows your flesh is weak and if he gets attention you'll find a way to excuse it. You'll find a way to say it's not as bad, it's not as important, it's not this, it's not that. Yeah I can do a little bit of this and I can have a little that. And so what you do is you say nope that's not for me. I shed that, I put that off, I cast that aside and I move on in Jesus name it's what you do and you keep going you don't go back and try to figure out where that thought came from or how that got in there you consider it not just cast it down it didn't come from God so throw it down very simple and just walk on so in Romans eight seventeen tells us if we are children then we are heirs. If you're God's child, I'm a child of God. Well, good. You have an inheritance with Him. So why are you still working on worldly things? Mm-hmm. See, this will get the the rappers who say they're Christians and say they're a child of God. This will well, what inheritance does God have for you? No, no. I'm not talking about your records and your Grammys. I'm talking about spiritual inheritance. Your spirit being. What's your spirit producing? That's your inheritance. How do you live by the spirit? We're joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him. So your inheritance comes through living out of the spirit. And not indulging your flesh in the things that the flesh craves. You can't inherit both. Flesh and blood will never inherit God's kingdom. So if we suffer with him we will be glorified together with him. Well God will pull this out for you. And you'll be, you'll be blessed in it. So we have all been written back into the will. Hmm? Sin had us disinherited. Because you couldn't get anything from God through the flesh. It's impossible. 
But now that you're born of his spirit, you've been written back into the will. And everything that you do by the spirit is part of your inheritance. It's not just things. It's not just the material. But you inherit his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding, his grace, his ability, his blessings, his truth. All of those things we have in God. So when you're written into the will, you're invited to all the family functions. Hmm? You're invited to church. Every time church is open, you're invited because you're in the will. Huh? Dad expects to see you in his house. He wants to visit with you. That's where you visit with him as a congregation. If God calls you to go work for Richard Roberts, you're in the will. You're invited there. You're not left out. You're accepted there. Because you're accepted in the beloved of God. That's part of your inheritance to be able to sow spiritual seed in things that matter to God. You labor for him. You're his child. When you're written in the will, your inheritance is the heathen. You can go to anybody who doesn't know God and ask God to give you words, to put words in your mouth that will bring life and hope and encouragement to that individual. God is so merciful. The Bible says as a father pitieth his children. That's how he feels about us. And that's the truth about his love. It's everlasting. He'll always make provision for us. We're written in the will and there is ample provision for us. Romans 8.39 it says nothing will separate us from the love of God. It's it's impossible to be separated from it and that means to be divorced from it to not be able to partake of it to not get the benefit of it it's impossible to not get the benefit of God's love impossible nothing can separate you from his love I don't care what happens to you his love is still for you you, know, you can go through devastating things in life and there are a lot of Christians who have but his love is still there for them yeah, you'll know the love of God. You'll know the peace. He'll let you know somehow that he's still for you. He's not against you. He's looking out for you. He's working for you. He cares about you. He will get that message to you some way. He just will. People love gets separated. That's why it's so weak. That's why we trade in people love for God's love. If you were start still trying to love people the way you were before you'd have shot somebody by now. You got me? Because all the trouble that comes our way is enough to make you snap. But if it weren't for the love of God where you could just in your mind say, man, I remember when I was like that. Somebody forgave me. You know, you laugh about things. And people go off on you and act stupid or all that kind of stuff. And you forgive them. You forgive them because you know that's what God expects. So this is not a true of human love that that you can you can be separated from human love because it has a limit. People get tired of each other. They separate all the time. And we break his holy laws, but he continues to pursue us with his love. Holy Spirit's always telling you, you better repent. You know, it's, come back to God. Don't stay out there and be stupid. You need to come back. And you know you're invited back. You know God wants you. There's a place for, for us. 
Romans 8.15 says that the reason we have an inheritance is that because we have a spirit of adoption. You know you belong to God. And if you're not sure of that, if you don't live in that assurance every day, you need to meditate on that. Because there are so many people who feel abandoned like orphans. Like they have no family. You see a lot of times people, you know, you invite them for dinner or you invite them here for a fellowship meal and they're not comfortable sitting, sharing a meal with people because they, they don't have, they don't feel comfortable. They don't know that they've been adopted. You know, sometimes it takes a little getting used to. You know, I, people who are new all the time, I tell them, I say, I better not be sitting there trying to be polite with this crowd. You better get up and fight for your, just like any other family, you better fight for your, speak up for your dinner. You ain't going to get none. You be going home hungry. Yeah. So the spirit of adoption, Romans 8.15, has replaced the spirit of bondage and fear. Where you're afraid to accept an invitation. You're afraid to fellowship with people. You're afraid you're going to be judged. You're nervous the whole time. You don't even know what people say to you because you're not sure. And that comes because of sin. That uncertainty comes because of sin. But the Holy Spirit puts a cry to the Father in your heart. You cry out to Abba Father by the Holy Ghost. It says here. For you have not. Verse 15. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. Where you call God Father. You call him Father. Your personal Father. And this spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the Holy Spirit gives you a confirmation. When you call God Father, he gives you a witness on the inside that you did the right thing. Mm -hmm. He makes you assured that God is your Father. And if God is your Father, no man can make you feel cast out. You don't feel cast out anywhere. I'll go anywhere to anybody's meeting, to anybody's church where God sends me. Now some of these churches you don't need to be in. The ones that are carnal, religious, stupid, and phony. Just don't go in there because God's not invited. He's not free to do anything in those places. And so you don't do that. But if God, you know, you see a person on TV and God says, you know, you go to that because they can, you know, help you or that will be a good place to be or whatever. You can go there and feel comfortable, welcome and accepted, even honored. Because that, that you God, that spirit of adoption is what makes you feel comfortable anywhere you go among God's people. Anywhere. You can go to any a Benny Hinn, you can go there, you can go to anybody's conference, anybody's meeting, be among believers, anywhere where the Spirit of God draws you. You got me? Because of that Spirit. And the Spirit of adoption will bear witness that you are a child of God and this is where you belong. You're welcome here. So we don't have the spirit of bondage to fear. Fear keeps you in your little box. You're scared of everybody. You don't want to step out and do anything by faith. You can't, you know, you don't feel comfortable. You always feel nervous. You're ready to get out of there in a hurry. All that kind of stuff. But you don't have that. You, that's fear is bondage. And so God, God allows us to, to be free in him. Hmm? We know we're loved because his spirit tells us so. 
You need to ask the sinner, you know, when, when if you confess Christ, he lives in you. Would God come to live inside of somebody that he was angry with or he didn't love? So he not only, you know, says you're okay, but he takes up residence inside you to help you to live for him. He wouldn't do that with somebody that he didn't love. And that he was angry with. So God's not mad at us anymore. And you need to be reassured of God's love. He's adopted you. You have evidence of that. Once you're born again. If you'll let me pray with you. I'll ask God to make it, make it real to you. And that Holy Spirit will let you know that you're accepted by God. And he'll never cast you out. So these are the truths. Two of the truths at least that we can tell the world about God. Amen. We can stop. Father in heaven we thank you for allowing us the opportunity to understand truth. And understand your word. Understand your ways. In a greater and greater way. And we do thank you for that opportunity Lord. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, you can come.